I'm Megan Murphy, host of The Same Drugs. I'm here to have conversations, real, honest, authentic conversations, the kind we aren't supposed to have anymore. I interview anyone who's interesting from left to right to everywhere in between. I work independently in order to have the freedom to say what I believe and speak to whoever I want. But with independence comes a lot of work and some insecurity. I rely on donors and patrons, so individuals, to support my work so I can continue to do what I do. Please consider becoming a subscriber on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash Megan Murphy. Thank you for supporting conversations outside the algorithm. Today on the show, I am speaking with Annie O'Brien, who is a political commentator and spokeswoman of Speak Up for Women, a nonpartisan organization that exists to protect and advance the rights and interests of women and girls in New Zealand. Hello, and welcome to The Same Drugs with Megan Murphy. I'm Megan Murphy. This is Annie O'Brien. Annie, you are a famous... New Zealander, is that correct? <laughs> um, I probably wouldn't go as far as saying famous. I think um, <laughs> um, I am uh, probably um, one of the better known turfs, quote unquote, um, in New Zealand, and the spokeswoman for Speak Up for Women. Um, so among uh, a select community, I would say. I, I'm a little bit notorious, but <laughs> but really not famous. <laughs> Very humble response. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so how are things in New Zealand? I hear that you all are um, back to normal. Basically, yeah. So um, oh, we, we had a little mini freak out, um, I think, last week because we got one case in the community which everyone was like no one whole case um so there's been a little bit of a panic but we, we haven't been in lockdown for months and um yeah it's pretty normal um it's just that no one can go anywhere really uh because even if you go like on holiday somewhere that's relatively safe getting back into the country is really hard um so there's like quite strict quarantines things and yeah so yeah it's pretty normal though you guys have to go into quarantine hotels if you leave the country and come back is that right yeah so you've got to be there for like two weeks i think yeah so yeah is that legal (laughs) i have so um, this is another thing that gets me in a little bit of trouble but i have questions about the the way that we've all just rolled over for stuff like this. Like it's kind of just agreeing to imprisonment. And I understand the reasoning behind it. I understand why the government wants to do these things and why people are inclined to agree with them. But I, it's the whole slippery slope thing. It's like if we give them permission to lock us up for, for two weeks um, because they say it's really necessary we're, we, like, do we take that right away after this is done, or uh, it does worry me a little bit? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I know this wasn't like the topic of the interview. I mean, I barely told you anything about the interview, so theoretically, I suppose I could just ask you whatever I want. He's like, well, <laughs> we'll talk about feminism, <laughs> but like, 
the, the way that people talked about the New Zealand COVID response and lockdown yeah. and then I guess sort of reopening, although like you say, you guys aren't allowed to leave the country <laughs> um, or come back, but has been like, oh, well, look, we shall do New Zealand did. And it's like, yeah. well, most countries are not an island, first yeah. of all. We've got a convenient <laughs> moat around um, the islands and we've basically just pulled the drawbridge up and, and then that's what's helped us. I think people also forget that 5 million people is not a lot of people. And uh, in terms of land mass, we're about the same size as the UK, but with only 5 million people. So we don't have the same density of housing and, and that kind of thing. So there's a lot of that kind of um, environmental or circumstantial factors that people don't take into account. They just think, like, maybe our government's just, like, waved a magic wand or something, um, yeah. which is not really the truth. <laughs> but, yeah, um, I mean, exactly. Wild yeah. rumours as well. Um, I saw a tweet by an American today that was like, the New Zealand government gave everyone $7,000. And I was like, I fucking wish. But they did not. <laughs> You're like, that sounds cool. Yeah. <laughs> Where's wow, my seven thousand dollars? Yeah, I mean in Canada, like Trudeau just announced uh, Justin Trudeau just announced that he was gonna start doing this like hotel quarantine thing for people who leave and come back. And I was just like, That's <laughs> not gonna work. Like in Can we share a border with America and people go back and forth all the time. Like not yeah. just people who are like I mean, he's trying to punish vacationers and snowbirds, right? Yeah. But um, it's like people but cross people the border like, constantly for work and yeah. for, like, medical reasons, like, for medical treatments and, like, you yeah. know, fa like, family. <laughs> it's just... It really doesn't work unless you're on an island, really. A, a small island, because even in Australia, they've got, you know, lots of... They've got six states, I think. Um, and even for them, having six states with borders um, where some states are really worse than others, um, it's so much harder than just, you know, a few little islands and five million of us. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so are you, how are you doing over there? Are you doing okay? Are you enjoying yourself? <laughs> Yeah, it's okay. It's it's a weird world. It's um, but I feel like almost like we're spectating because things are quite normal. We can still, you know, like go out and go to the mall and go out for dinner and all those kind of things. Um, so it's quite normal. Um, but yeah, it is. It's weird in that, um, like my sister lives in London and she just can't come back. Um, and it used to be this um, very, the idea of, um, oh, it's just 24 hours away. Just, if, you know, if you need to come home, it's just 24 hours and a couple of grand or something. Um, and now it's literally like she's stuck over there. Like you, she's lost her job twice because of lockdowns. Um, she's got one again now. But she would have probably come home if it was an option, I think. Um, so it's stuff like that that's weird. But. Mostly it's, um, that's all good. <laughs> right. So, so I met you 
well, I met you in person in New Zealand um, when Speak Up for Women uh, brought me over there to participate in an event in an event that you and some other women organized. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, what what was your involvement in feminism prior to that event? How did you sort of get involved in in feminism or interested in feminism? I think I was always quite a passive participant. I was, I always was pro-feminism, even as a kid when I didn't really know what it was all about. Um, and I kind of, um, yeah, I guess I would have called myself a feminist without really doing much. Um, and I first started to question, um, I guess, all the gender identity stuff that was cropping up. Um, probably when I was at university, so like 2011 or 12, um, and I got myself in trouble straight away asking questions. Um, and then I kind of, because I got ostracized um, and um, kind of told off, I then was like, I'm going to ask more questions. I'm going to find out more. Um, so I then kind of went digging online and I found the, the British Rad Femmes. Um, and that was kind of my introduction to like what I'd say like proper feminism where you're actually taking action and doing stuff, you know. Um, and and so I've kind of followed the British um, progress and, and everything quite closely. Um, and then, yeah, it kind of caught up here because we we're a few years behind um, in – like this year we're probably going to get a lot of the laws coming through that that you guys and the Brits already had or have. Um, and so we've been in a like kind of state of catch up. And um, so, yeah, my, my feminism now is really wrapped up in this gender identity stuff. But before that, I probably would have been more concerned with things like, um, prostitution because our country decriminalized it um, really early on um, and it hasn't gone so well um, and probably with things like you know gender pay gaps and stuff um, should be sex pay gaps but that's not what they call them um, yeah so it, it's become really wrapped up in the gender identity stuff which um, can actually be quite frustrating because I feel like there's it's so frustrating to get just caught up in this one part of it but at the end of the day if we can't define ourselves and if we can't um have our own organizations and and opportunities and that kind of thing we can't really fight any of the other battles um so yeah at the moment that's where i'm at (laughs) yeah i mean it is you do end up sort of feeling like you're hyper focused on one thing or repeating yourself a lot that, I mean, I feel the same way. Like I think, I think some people might be like, why do you, how do you talk about this all the time? Like, why don't you yeah. talk about something else? Like, there's other issues going on for women. Blah, 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 blah. And of course there are, there's tons and mm. tons of issues going on for women and girls all around the world. Um, sure lots of terrible things, um, not least of which is, you know, trafficking and prostitution. Um, But like you say, I mean, 
if we can't if we can't define what a woman is or a girl for that matter um if we can't talk about sex-based rights and why those rights matter then I don't know how we can talk about any of these other things because we can't even we can't even look at why they're going on. You know, these yeah. these issues that we've been fighting, all these other issues in feminism and the women's movement, um, female yeah. genital mutilation, you know, trafficking, prostitution, sexual assault, domestic yeah. abuse, um, lack of access to education for some girls in in, in some countries outside the West. Uh, yeah. Even in the West now, we're getting to the point where um, because we have, um, uh, you know, multicultural societies and we've got, um, like, certain religion and culture who um, are already less likely to um, encourage um, the education of girls, um, but then when they find out the types of things that are being taught in sexual health classes, they find out that males can now go into female spaces, they're more likely to pull these girls out of school. So um, I often think it's such a contradiction because I feel like these kind of identitarian um, people will um, shout from the rooftops about how they're like – care about Muslims, care about immigrants, care about all those things. But then they push an ideology that really conflicts with what those communities um, believe and um, and it impacts how they're able to live their lives. So it's, it's a com- conflict in terms and a conflict in, um, in advocacy, really, because you, you, can't, you can't advocate for two rights that are conflicting. I wonder. I wonder if you think that. Um, I th- I wonder if you think that feminism is lacking today. I mean, there's you know there's different kinds of feminism. I spent so much time in my um, feminist career arguing about like good feminism and bad feminism, and you know have referred to various forms of feminism in various ways over the years, like you know, from liberal feminism to mainstream feminism to, um, I think I called it playboy feminism sometimes, (laughs) like third wave feminism and so on and so forth. But, and, and, you know, compared all of those feminisms to a more radical feminism or a feminism that was more rooted in second wave feminism, Mm -hmm. a kind of more, what I saw as a more legitimate kind of feminism and now, of course, I see lots of problems in radical feminism mm. as well. Um, yeah. And I sort of reject all those categories and binaries a little bit just because mm. it just becomes this argument around, like, who's doing it right and who's doing it wrong? And I find that it's so tiresome. But Yeah, like, um, yeah I, I totally agree. I think um, we've become so fractured. Feminism itself is obviously, like you said, it's become fractured anyway. You've got um, what I would consider um, it's wearing the the cloak of feminism, but it's not doing any work. It's actually hurting us, which is like that liberal kind of mainstream stuff um, where it's like, take your clothes off, that's empowering, um, but don't label yourself a woman, um, you know, you're a uterus haver and all that kind of stuff. So I think that is just not even feminism in my in my kind of opinion. And I'm also like you in that 
I found kind of a space in radical feminism and, and gender critical feminism um, where I thought, okay, we're talking about reality. We're, we're talking about um, the things that second wave has talked about. I feel comfortable here. And then I think we just did what, what we always do, which is we started fracturing. Um, and I think it's that whole who has the authority to speak for what radical feminism is or or um, you can't be a radical feminist if you do this. Um, and it's all that kind of purity politics that can really damage what we're able to achieve. I know I think about a year ago I just left pretty much all the, the radical feminist groups because um, every time like I did media or um, every time I wrote something, it wouldn't just be like, oh, I disagreed with this point. It would be like a full-on attack of something I'd said or um, there would be someone who um, had decided they didn't like me for whatever reason. Um, and so all their friends would then be snipey in the group. And I was just like, "This is why are we doing this? We're actually not um, doing any organisation in here. We're not furthering um, women's rights in this group. We're in here kind of talking about stuff sometimes, but we're also um, at each other a lot of the time. So I just left the groups because um, I just didn't feel like it was healthy. Um, and sometimes I think I probably miss out on on what's going on with, with other groups and that kind of thing. But on the whole, I think it's given me more time to actually think about and do work um, that we need to do because um, I'm not just, I guess, chatting in, in the groups and stuff. Yeah, I mean, I I haven't participated very much in feminist or radical feminist internet groups in quite a long time. And I do that intentionally because I don't want to know about all the infighting. Like mm -hmm. I've tried really, really hard to stay ignorant to who hates who and like what people are fighting about and who's being ripped to shreds and canceled this week. Like I just don't want to know. I don't yeah. want to waste my brain energy on it. And people try to drag me into this stuff all the time. Mm -hmm. And it's easier to not get dragged in if you don't know what's going on. Like if it's like, yeah. oh, so-and-so did this and what do you think? And I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I do but get tired like, of being to take a position on things that I'm not involved in. It's kind yeah. of like, um, well, look, I can see you do really great work and you do really great work. Um, for whatever reason, you don't think each other are very good, um, but I can see the value in both of you. Um, I don't need to take a position, actually, because it's nothing to do with me. So stop putting pressure on me to do it, because um, I think it just furthers the conflicts. If everyone has to pick a side, everyone has to, you know, say, yeah, no, they're not, they're not a real red femme because they did X, Y, Z. And it really... Um, frustrates me because that kind of behavior is the same as what we criticize in, um, I guess, trans, trans activist behavior and cancel culture. We've got, um, you know, every time someone says something wrong, all of this like crowd of, I guess, influential people comes up 
to condemn them and be like, yep, I've put my I've put my stake in the ground. I've um, I've said who's the bad guy, um, and now they're cancelled and they will never ever come to one of our events and they'll never be allowed to speak on this. And I'm like, does this not look familiar to you guys? This is what we rail against. This is what has been done to us before. It's really frustrating. Well, yeah, I mean, it's first of all, it's what, what happens to us from all the other sides, you know, from the trans yeah. activists, the leftists, the um, social justice warriors, whatever you want to call them. I mean, yeah. any any of us who've been involved in these debates around women's rights and gender identity knows that. Um, but, you know, to me... It's it, it often doesn't even have to do with politics. I mean, like you said earlier, sometimes it has to do with political differences, but often, like, I'll be so confused. I'll be like, why does everybody hate this person? Or, like, why does everybody suddenly, like, hate me? And I'm just like, I don't, I don't really, it just doesn't yeah. make any sense. And then you figure out that there was just some, like, weird personal conflict between somebody and somebody else. And it just sounds petty if you say, oh, I don't like that person because they were mean or because I felt slighted or they didn't respond to my message or they didn't promote my event or whatever it was. So they turn it into this political conflict and try to legitimize it and blow it way out of proportion and end up, you know, trashing and, and slandering other women. And I just find it so... I mean, I find it really childish and immature, but I also just find it such a waste of our time. It's like people just have, a lot of people have totally lost sight of what they're trying to do. Like you're trying to accomplish something. I thought, I thought we were talking about, you know, policy and legislation. Yeah. Well, that's what, that's what we spend at Speak Up Woman. That's what we spend most of our time on is policy and legislation. Um, so a lot of it's quite quiet. It's kind of happening in the background because we are um, not we're not tying ourselves to fences or anything yet. Um, but <laughs> it's it's to me it's quite dry work that we need to do, and it's um, it's in working with politicians and lobbying and that kind of thing. Um, and sometimes that's quite boring for people, especially um, if they're not as involved in it and they want action. Um, and so I wonder if that's sometimes where conflict pops up. Um, I also think uh, there is just a human nature thing where for some reason people who um, are not actively contributing to something still feel like they've got the right and the need to express an opinion um, and kind of tell off the people who are doing something. Um, And I find that so challenging to deal with because I know that people care about the issue, but it is really hard if every time, you know, every time I get off the radio or something, um, there's there's someone there to tell me what I should have said who's never done a radio interview live before ever. Um, and so it's a, it's a real challenge, but I think it's just a human thing because it happens everywhere. 
Yeah, I mean, I guess I've sort of been trying to figure out if it does happen everywhere or if there's something that's specific to feminism in the women's movement. Because, well, absolutely, social media has had, I think, a negative impact on feminism. I mean, it's not all bad, you know, like, obviously, we've been able to connect with a lot of women around the world. But I don't think that online organizing is a good thing or a useful thing. I think that in-person organizing is still, you know, the most important uh, way to to get work done and to do organizing. I find that, like, not being able to do in-person events because of COVID has had a really negative impact on the feminist movement and having everybody online all the time and people sort of just picking and picking and picking and things get really toxic. Um, But I've also wondered, I'm like, is it, is there something about feminism that leads women to kind of want to tear each other down? Like it does feel like, if somebody achieves some level of visibility or success, so it's like they've gotten something done, um, they've gotten some attention to the cause or to their work, Mm -hmm. they're visible, they're getting media interviews, um, people know who they are, whatever, you know, almost instantly a ton of women in the movement are going to try to destroy them. You know, the things that... I see said about lots of other feminists are horrible. The things that I see other women saying about me are really horrible. And, you know, and they're people that for the most part don't even know me. Um, Mm -hmm. And they're sort of reading what their friends are saying about me on the internet, or they're making a bunch of assumptions or it's sort of, I, I get the impression that a lot of people, a lot of these women think that, particularly probably younger women, um, but not always. They think that if you've, if you've achieved visibility or some level of success, that you must have done something to get that. Like, it, you don't deserve it. Do you know <laughs> what I mean? Curious. Like, it's like, oh, you must have, like, you must be rich or you must have slept with somebody or like it can't possibly be just that you did something right in terms of like strategy or you have God forbid some kind of talent or skill. Like maybe you're good at speaking. Maybe you're good at media interviews. Maybe you're like a good writer. Like it it can't be that you must have sort of cheated your way in. Um, I wonder if you've had had that that experience. (laughs) I've definitely had that one. So, um, I had one um, one woman stir up a lot of trouble because um, she told everyone that I was making money off it. And let me tell you, Speak Up Women has made me poorer, not richer. <laughs> All of us who are involved have put money in it. It's not it's not producing any money. Um, but yeah, that was that was the rumor, and so a whole lot of people thought that I was cashing in on. Um, I don't know what they thought was generating the money, but um, yeah, it's the exact same thing. It's the um, tall poppy syndrome, we call it here. I don't know if it's a it's called that elsewhere, but um, it's kind of it's it's a bit of a thing here across the board, not just in feminism, whereby um, someone becomes visible or successful, um, and you just got to chop them down at the knees because they can't. I don't know what the point is, but um, it's it's definitely a thing. And um, 
you know, on the whole, of course, all the women are super supportive, but there just seems to always be in every group around the world a handful of agitators who want to tear down the 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 one who's kind of visible or because I kind of it's it's kind of crazy when I look around the world at those of us who've been in the position of doing um the more you know frontline stuff in terms of media and everything a, like a lot of us have all had the same thing happen to us um and there's a lot of um different reasons for that um but then there's a lot of common thread which is just that I don't know I think it's a combination of politics and femaleness and I know we're not really supposed to attribute things to femaleness but I I believe that um you know whether it's a an evolutionary thing or a genetic thing I don't know but you know throughout history men have resolved things by beating the shit out of each other and women have always had social conflicts and I think that still bears out when we get into groups like this. Um, and and so we've got very evolved ways of torturing each other um, with social games. Um, and, I, and I think that's what plays out in feminism because you put it into a highly politicised um, environment where um, people are focused on one issue but are coming from different places sometimes because it, it can also be very uh, restricted and where you're allowed to come from politically. Um, yeah, I think it kind of becomes a bit of a, you know, combustion. Yeah, I think that's probably part of it. I've wondered if part of it is that, you know, feminism feminism is attached to leftist movements, Mm-hmm. whether or not that's a good thing. I don't really think it's a good thing anymore, but I used to think it was a good thing. Um, but it, there's sort of a, there's an idea in feminism, at least in Canada. Um, I don't know if this applies everywhere, but in Canada, there's, you know, it, we're supposed to be kind of anti-hierarchical, I would say that that's applicable to feminism everywhere because, you know, part of the criticism or part of the analysis, I should say, of feminism is that patriarchy creates this hierarchy um, where men are at the top and women are at the bottom. And then there's, you know, a number of other hierarchies that exist um, beyond that in terms of things like class, race, so on and so forth. Mm. But because we're supposed to reject hierarchy, that's a simplistic way of putting it, And, you know, a lot of feminists over the years have worked in collectives, um, you know, in during the second wave, for example, um, I've been told by women who were involved in in radical feminism during the second wave that um, a lot of women used anonymous names. They wouldn't use their actual names in in writing and whatnot because, it was such a, it was viewed as such a bad thing to be known, like to get any attention at all. Like the idea that a woman would like get famous for her work was like a bad thing. So in order for everybody to be on equal terrain, you just had to not even know who anyone was. But so because of that, it seems to me like when 
when leaders emerge, mm. people who are more prominent, maybe people who are doing more, again, people who are kind of getting more attention or people who are just out there and known, uh, a lot of women will see that as a bad thing and be like, no, screw you, like, come back down here with us. Mm. And I just find it kind of counterproductive. And I just find it really kind of unrealistic because hierarchy is a natural thing. Like, I think that's a major flaw of the left in feminism is pretending that hierarchies are not natural when, in fact, they very much are for animals, for us, too. We are still animals. <laughs> yeah. And for political organization, um, you know, I, I always came from the left. But as I became more involved in feminism, um, and which, like you said, is more um, attached to the left. Um, I became hyper-aware of how difficult it can be to organise when you have a flat structure because um, everything's done by committee. Everything has to go through a million steps. And it was funny, I was sent in an article today and it was like um, tactics that the CIA used to infiltrate um political groups and um and a lot of it is just what you see in leftist groups and it's just like normal behavior and I'm like you're self-sabotaging because everything takes so long and um and it was even like one of the things that these CIA agents would do is you know at a meeting they would go back to an issue that was discussed at the last meeting and decide to dispute the outcome of it. And I was like, this is just what we all do now. <laughs> um, this is just normal. But So I definitely agree with you that um, I think that the flat structures don't work when you need to get really vital things done, like protecting human rights. I think um, that it's not... Um, I guess this idea that it's in self-interest is uncharitable. I'm sure there are some people who do, who do things out of self-interest, but in this case, driving me personally is this like desperation to prevent our human rights laws from being destroyed, and they're partially there anyway. Um, and I don't make money off it. I'm one of the most hated people by by leftists in this country, um, and I really have had a net negative effect from doing this. Um, but there's this assumption of the opposite. And I think we need to be okay with having organisers lead us um, without attributing, um, I guess, their own personal gains and, and that kind of thing. I'm not really explaining this very well, but I guess... I would say we do need leaders. We do need some kind of hierarchy where um, you have people making decisions in a representative way. Um, that's how we organise our parliaments. You know, you, we don't all get a get a say on every issue. We we get people who we vote who then represent us. So it's stuff like that that I think. Um, we would benefit from. And I, I also, like you, I always thought it was natural that feminism exists on the left. And I thought um, it was because the values aligned and that kind of thing. 
But in this process, especially around gender identity, um, I just don't think feminism's values should be aligned with any political um, space because our rights should be beyond the um, the the spectrum that males basically set up, right? So this is a kind of political continuum that we have inherited. Um, And so I think that feminism should sit outside of that and it should be for all women. And I I really resent when when women bring um, their politics into it when it's the politics of a party that that is destroying our rights. I just don't get it. I just, I mean, there's, there's the one truth, which you said, which is that, you know, feminism is supposed to be about supporting all women, you know, feminism is for women, period. It doesn't matter what side of the political spectrum you're on. And moreover, most women, most people are not on a side of the political spectrum. Like those of us who have been political for a really long time, I think, get so accustomed to assuming that everybody is like us and that like everybody has picked a side and they're very well informed about all these debates and parties and everything. And the reality is that most people are just like living their lives and they decide who to vote for based on specific issues that matter to them. And sometimes those issues will be reflected by a left-wing party or a liberal party, a more centrist party, a conservative party, Um, And all of those things mean different things depending on where you're located, right? Like when we talk about the left and the right in Canada, that really means quite a different thing than than the left versus the right in the U.S., for example. Um, And for for us, we, we sit, our entire system sits to the left of the Democrats. So our right wing party is more liberal than the Democrats in the U.S., so I find all the performative stuff really difficult because the same people here who have squealed about our centre-right party and who have, you know, called them all sorts of things and act like they're all murderers and putting us into poverty and stuff. And, yes, there are faults, trust me. But um, but then they go and, like, have a party for Joe Biden. I'm like, he, is, he won't even give them friggin' universal health care. Like, what? Literally, when you said that, my eye just started twitching. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, I just, I found the the response to, I mean, now here we are talking about American politics, of course, but it, you know, it it really, it affects us all. It affects the kind of conversations that we can have. All of the social media platforms that we're using are American-owned these are American corporations, right? And they're determining so much about what we're allowed to to say and talk about and the mm-hmm. kinds of information we have access to, et cetera. But, you know, it, it, American politics really taint the debate around mm-hmm. feminism, around women's rights, around left versus right, all of that stuff. But, you know, the way that so many feminists, so many of the feminists who are adamant that feminism has to be attached to the left and to left-wing parties, and that if we work with or engage with people 
who aren't left-wing media that isn't explicitly left-wing, um, politicians who aren't explicitly left-wing, um, organizations that aren't explicitly left-wing, then we're somehow colluding with evil forces, we're destroying feminism, et cetera, et cetera. You know, these very same people were also the same people that said, like, if you don't vote for Biden, like, I'm not voting for anybody, but okay. If you don't vote for Biden... <laughs> Yeah. Oh, you don't vote for Biden, like you're out of feminism, like you're canceled from feminism. And I was just like, I mean, first of all, no, that's not how democracy works. Like women can make their own decisions. You don't get to like dictate what all women or all feminists think and do. And you know what? You have to give people the benefit of the doubt and assume that if they're making a choice to vote for somebody who isn't Biden, they have good reasons for that. And maybe you don't understand those reasons. And maybe you would be able to understand those reasons if you asked, instead of saying you're a bad person and you're kicked out of feminism. But also, who are you? Like, why do you get to decide who gets to do work in the women's movement and fight for women's rights? What's really interesting is because um, a lot of American women and men, people like you and me who, you know, it's not our circus and not our monkeys, but we're still kind of talking about it. And um, we'd all kind of said, Joe Biden's not that great. You know, Trump shit. Joe Biden's not that great either. You know, you've got two men who've both been accused of sexual assault. Like they really got the cream of the crop. Um, And, we got told off, well, I did anyway. I got told off by various women for the things you said. And then within 24 hours, he, with a stroke of a pen, um, wrote away a whole lot of women's rights in an executive order. And straight away, the same woman started freaking out. And I was like, but we told you. He said he was going to do that. He promised he was going to do that. Whether he did it 24 hours or, you know, three weeks later, he said he was going to do it straight away within the first 100 days. This isn't a surprise. I don't understand. Um, and so there was at this party that abruptly stopped and then there was this awkward like, oh, shit. Yeah, I mean, to me, that was, it was a really, it's a really important issue. It's not the only issue, but like you say, we knew that Biden was going to do that. He promised that if he became president, he would somehow instill gender identity legislation, which which erases women's rights. Um, it just does. They're sex-based rights. You know, gender identity ideology, gender identity legislation neutralizes women's sex-based rights. You can't have both. You can't have oh, you can just identify as a woman or you actually are a woman. There has to be a definition for women and girls if we're going to protect these rights. Um, I wonder, I, I mean, I guess I wonder what that that debate is like in New Zealand. Um, I mean, is is that debate around whether or not feminists have to be left or can't talk to right-wing people um, that kind of conflict, that kind of binary, polarized conversation around left or right, does that does that exist in New Zealand? Absolutely. Um, so we purposely, in our principles that we wrote for Speak Up for Women, we said we are nonpartisan. Because even though 
it was left-wing women who established it. We never wanted to exclude any woman who didn't consider herself left-wing or didn't know what she was politically. Um, we never wanted to do that. So that's why we're non-partisan. However, it feels like we sometimes have to remind people a lot of that fact. Um, so we've just had an election um, at the end of last year and this government, which which won uh, a majority, so they've got a lot of power, um, promised, just like Joe Biden, that they're going to bring in all this legislation. They're going to bring in um, self-ID that we stopped in 2019. They're bringing it back. Um, they're bringing in conversion therapy, which includes gender identity. So that's going to prevent, you know, parents from being able to take their child for therapy, um, that kind of thing. Um, they're bringing in surrogacy laws, hate speech laws, and that's all promised. And when we decided, right, how are we going to stop them? It was like the end of the world. Okay, so you don't want to stop them. What are you doing here? What are we doing here? It just it made no sense whatsoever. So anyway, they've got in, and we're now faced with this legislation. They've got a majority, so they the opposition can do very little to stop them if they decide to put it through. So we're really in big trouble, and um and so. Um, we've been doing a lot of work with whichever politician will talk to us, really. I don't care. Left, right, wherever, I'll talk to them. Um, and, again, there's been issues around, well, we need to take this and, and talk to Labour about it. Why? They're the ones putting the bill up. They don't want to see our how we're going to combat it. Why are we, why? I, I just don't understand. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, but like in Canada, this, this desperation to attach ourselves to the left has been incredibly frustrating for me because it's, you know, similarly, it's been the left-wing parties who've pushed um, not only gender identity legislation, but they were also the ones who've been pushing to legalize prostitution in Canada. Mm-hmm. You know, our prostitution legislation in Canada, which decriminalizes the women in prostitution and criminalizes pimps and johns and brothel owners, mm-hmm. you know, that legislation only succeeded. It succeeded because feminists pushed for it, but it also succeeded because we have it, had a conservative party in power then. And those are the only politicians who will support that legislation. That's always been true. Um, And same with gender identity. I mean, the Liberal Party and the NDP, it was the Liberal Party that pushed through our gender identity laws. And, of course, the NDP, our left-wing party, supported all that. And there's no, they won't even have a conversation with us. No, like it's not like we're talking to them and they disagree. They won't even, the only people who will talk to us are the conservative politicians. Mm. Yeah, and it's like after you've spent three years like bashing down the door trying to talk to the government to then be told, well, we just have to work from the inside. We just have to work to solve it from the inside. Like, what do you think we've been doing for the last three years? It's it's really frustrating. And I think 
especially in New Zealand where we have actually got such a left wing, such a left aligned entire spectrum, we're not talking about serious conservatives on our right. You know, they're nothing like an American conservative. Um, and even so, like I, I often get told, you know, well, if you work with the right, you're going to screw up women's reproductive rights. And in New Zealand, we've just pushed through um, abortion law reform, which has, has improved our rights. And it was a um, conscious conscience vote, so it wasn't a party vote. Um, and actually both our Labour Party and our National Party were split. So they had people who voted yes and no on both sides. So it kind of amuses me because some of the people in that Labour Party voted against the abortion law reform, but we're allowed to forget that. And then on the right, they're not talking about that because they know that battle's kind of gone. Like, So they're actually not actively trying to dismantle our reproductive rights. Um, and even if they were... I'd tell them that I disagreed with them on that and try and work with them to stop our human rights being dismantled. Like, it's not an either-or. You just kind of have to do what you've got to do in this situation. Um, and I, I guess I'd love the luxury of being able to have purity politics and be like, this is my position, I'm not moving from it. But, um, you know, if I did that, we wouldn't achieve anything because... No one would talk to me. On the <laughs> yeah. Well, and I don't even know if that's what I would, I want now. I think that in the past, I certainly would have wanted that. And I did engage in purity politics and I've written a lot of things in the past that said, you know, like feminism is inherently leftist. It has to be socialist. It has to be anti-capitalist. Um, but I don't think, I just, I no longer think that's how people are, how the world works. So I think that the idea that I would be only working with people who agreed with me about everything, I think is unrealistic. But it's also like, it's like, well, I'm open to changing my mind about issues if there's convincing arguments that will, you know, pull me in a different direction. I don't mean pull me in a different direction. Like I'm just, oh, okay, over here, over here, over here. Yeah. But, you know, like you change your mind about things mm-hmm. if presented with new evidence or information or perspectives that make more sense. And so the idea that I my positions are stagnant, I reject, and I almost feel insulted by that because it's like, well, my, my brain my brain still works, you know, like as I move forward in my life, my positions will change about things, change on, on issues. And I want to be able to do that. And I want to do that if need be. So surrounding myself, but so, you know, if I say I only want to work with or engage with people who agree with me on this, this, and this, it like limits my ability to change my mind. I definitely have broadened, uh, who I speak with, who I work with, um, to the horror of some people. But um, I just think we can engage and learn and we can then discern for ourselves if we agree on things or if we don't. But I think to close yourself off to even hearing other perspectives, even considering, um, you know, there might be a different way to think of things. And the whole thing of, like, 
I understand maybe a desire to, you know, feminism should be socialist, it can't be capitalist. Um, but I want to make the world better for women right now. And we live in a capitalist society. So it's all very well to work towards a different utopia system, whatever. But that means waiting and just like, because we live in a capital system now. Um, so I'm more wanting to take practical action in the now, in the environments that we exist in. Um, and of course, there are still values on the left that I think are really important to that. But um, I certainly feel like sometimes there's this like utopian vision of what the world should be like and it's all or nothing. Like if we don't achieve this whole vision, then it's a failure. Whereas I see it as, you know, there's always going to be work to be done. But if we can save our human rights, if we can put protections in law for women, um, that's a win. Uh, and then we can work on other stuff as well. <laughs> Yeah, and I just I I just no longer think that left wing ideas are better than any other ideas. I mean, maybe some of them are, but you know, there's lots of left wing ideas that are not good ideas, and part of that has to do with this idea where we should be focused on creating an idealistic, an ideal society, which I think was why, in part, that I was a leftist for so long was that I was like. I want a brand new society that doesn't exist and this is how I imagine it to be. So this is what I'm going to work towards. But now I'm like, no, no, like I want to work with what actually exists. Like I live in this world. I want to make this world better for women and girls and for people in general. I don't, I don't only care about women and girls. I care about all people and you know, the world we live in, there's so many horrible things, but there's also lots of good things. I mean, we we pretend like we're in this sort of nightmarish, nightmarish situation, but that's not necessarily true in all contexts. And um, I suppose, I mean, I wonder what you think, what do you think that, feminism is getting wrong you know what do you think are there things that are happening in <laughs> feminism that you think are you know I, I guess I mean yeah let's just leave it at that what do you think feminism is is getting wrong I think that there needs to be um, a real consciousness of an honesty as to who is doing theoretical feminism and who wants to do practical feminism because at the moment, um, there's a conflict, I think, between those two things. Because theoretical feminism, writing, reading, those kind of things, you know, that can be more idealistic. You can you can create these utopias. You can um, have a solution for everything on paper. And that's great. Um, and it's important to flesh out those ideas. But it shouldn't hinder the ability for practical feminism to take place, which is um, doing what needs to be done, working with who, whoever is going to benefit us um, and securing rights and protections in the world that we live in now. Um, and 
I think sometimes people think there's a framework and everything has to be done in that framework and it has to be 100% feminist, whatever that is. Um, but I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I'm willing to do pretty much anything to, to protect women's human rights, you know, in this kind of battle. Um, I'll talk to whoever. And if you if other women are not willing to do that, you know, they, they would rather see the, the rights legislated out. Um, then talk to a politician that they disagree with, that's fine. But that's not me. Um, and I think the problem is that there are so many different ideas of what being a good feminist is. Um, and we, are, we, being the collective, are constantly policing each other based on our own idea of what it is, rather than being okay, we are women and we are collectively seeking to um, promote and protect the rights of women. That's our purpose. And now everyone can take their own route to get there, collectively in groups or individually. Um, but it makes no sense to set a framework at the base level before we've even um, taken steps towards a goal because it keeps us all there talking about stuff and never taking action. And I guarantee you that um, you go into to, um, groups where men are trying to get what they want, whatever their cause is, um, and they don't have those scruples. Uh, and I think, you know, maybe people would say that's a flaw and we shouldn't be like them or whatever. But in the end, it's about winning. Um, this is a fight for our rights. If we don't fight like, you know, our opponents, um, we're never going to win. And I'm sorry, but I, I don't believe that there's honour in, in losing this um, because we, we didn't um, step outside of this narrow framework of what's acceptable I don't think there's honour because it will set our back like decades and decades um, and maybe I'm just a bit of I'm, I don't know ruthless or um, I don't think I am I think I'm just pragmatic and that I will just do what needs to be done in order to protect our rights um, and I, I just think that our worst enemy is us all um, holding each other back, um, policing each other. You know, if there's a feminist over there who you disagree with on everything theoretically, but she is getting shit done. She is bringing attention to the issue. Um, she is iconic. Leave her to it. You don't need to condemn her every five minutes. I'm sure you know who I'm talking about. Um you know, like, you can disagree with her on everything. But she's doing a hell of a job in terms of, you know, bringing attention to the issue. And I just, I yeah. mean, I just feel like if I've always just, and I've, I've done this too, you know, like, it's like, if there's women that I don't like or that I disagree with in this movement, then fine. Like, there's so many women that I disagree with and don't like. And it's like, well, I'm going to do things this way. You do things your way. Yeah. Like, 
whatever, go for it. I mean, if we're working towards the same end cause, I don't mean like for people yeah. who are actively fighting against what we're trying to accomplish. I'm not saying, oh, you think prostitution is awesome and should be legalized. And <laughs> like, like, great, you do your thing, you do you. Yeah. <laughs> like, obviously, we're fighting for different things, right? So you're going to yeah. express disagreement or criticism. But, you know, like I'm talking about within our particular movement, whatever mm -hmm. you want to call it. I've, I've actually sort of tried to move away from saying feminism or feminists and talking about women's rights yeah. instead yeah, because I, I find I it more, more accurate. Yeah. Um, I try and talk more about women's rights because that's the end. So rather than it being um, an identity thing, um, I talk about advocating for women's rights because that's the goal. Um, and it's not that I've suddenly decided I don't want to be a feminist. I still call myself a feminist in other contexts. But for me, it's about the action rather than sticking an identity cap on um, and then being restricted by it because of others who put that same cap on. Um so yeah, I, I've done I've done a similar thing in, in that um yeah, women's rights is, is what's important, not what I call myself. I wonder if you think that there's a a lack of honesty in feminism or I, I mean, I'll try to explain sort of what I mean, because I'm not sure if that makes sense to you or not. Maybe it does. But I mean, like, I feel like I focus and I've tried really hard over the years to be authentic. Like, so to admit mm. that I'm imperfect, you know, like I'm not just because I, I say all these things. It doesn't mean that I'm not living in this society. Like, it's like, mm -hmm. uh, you know, even now I'll get questions, I'll get emails, I'll get messages from women. And it's like. Well, you like it's like you're you wear makeup and like obviously like you're trying to look attractive for men. So how can you say all this about feminism and be have written these things that are critical um, and then still participate? And I'm just I'm like, but I've always done this. And all that I've said essentially is that, you know, I'm going to wear eyeliner because I do want to look attractive and I'm not going to pretend that's like a feminist choice. Like I don't have to defend everything I do. I'm not interested in it. It's like, this is just my life and I'm just living my life. And sometimes I just like a thing. And sometimes it's because I want to look younger or prettier or thinner or whatever it is. Okay. And I don't have to be this like politically pure person. I'm not interested in being that person. I'm just interested in being a regular, like flawed human and your fight for feminism, I feel like it shouldn't even really be about you. It should be about like, you know, fighting for legislation and policies and practices that will actually help women live with dignity and respect and freedom and autonomy and be protected from violence. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I think we should spend less time worrying about that stuff. I definitely think we can critique um, the frame that this is not the framework, it's the societal kind of um, pressures and, and um, expectations, I guess, that are imposed in terms of how we should enact gender in relation to our sex. I definitely think that, but I um, similarly, you know, I haven't shaved my head and stopped wearing makeup. 
Um, and so I think I'm quite honest in the fact that um, I'm sure there are things that I do that people wouldn't consider uh, like the most feminist thing ever, but that's okay because um, I'm a human being and I'm more than this part of my life and I'm trying to make sure that we have the rights to do whatever we want, be whatever we want safely and um, take part in society, but that how we choose to do that is then up to us, you know. Um, and I certainly don't think that girls should be pressured to wear makeup or shave their legs or anything like that. But if they choose to, then that's kind of fine. Um, and I think this whole perfection thing is is part of the whole conflict. Like, um, I'm always very open that, that, you know, sometimes I'll intentionally say things that are that are not probably as feminist as people wish. Or sometimes I will accidentally say something that um, doesn't align with what people think I should be saying. Um, but I'm human. And this expectation that women um, should be superhuman and should either it's like it is like a binary because it's like you should either totally enact femininity um you know totally buy into the patriarchy as it were um and and be a perfect woman that way or you're supposed to reject everything and be um anti um feminine anti-patriarchy which yeah maybe that's a good part but um yeah, it's like it's one or the other. And actually most of us sit in the middle and pick and choose what um, parts of gender we want to enact and what we want to interact with. Um, and I think that's okay. Um, we can be critical of the overall picture, the systems. Um, but as we said with capitalism, this is where we are living right now. And so... We just want it to be livable for women um, and for women to have the choice to to live as they want. Well, yeah, and I mean, I just think that the, the political purity aspect of feminism, um, it turns a lot of women away from feminism. Like women don't really want to participate in something if they're being judged all the time and being told you can't do this and you have to do this. Or like, if you do that, that's, that's bad. Like, it's like, you sort of just have to like let people live. And it doesn't mean not having critical conversations about certain systems or behaviors. I mean, I can only, I can just imagine how people will respond to me having said that. It's like, well, you criticized anal sex. And it's like, well, yeah, because <laughs> women don't like anal sex. <laughs> yeah. And there's like it. a lot of Women don't have a prostate. <laughs> but so, you know, so, you know, like when I'm, when I'm criticizing, like, I don't know, pornography or pornographic practices or things that women do in bed that are, you know, painful or degrading that they feel like they're supposed to enjoy or claim they enjoy, pretend they enjoy. I'm not, it's like, I'm not saying if you do that, you're bad. It's like, there are plenty of things that I do in bed that aren't feminist things. Like, God, can you imagine having like feminist sex all the time? Like what? <laughs> I think I do because I'm a lesbian. 
<laughs> right, I suppose so. But I mean, I guess, yeah, well, I mean, that, that helps because like as a woman who fucks men, I'm inherently flawed as far as radical feminism is concerned. You know, like I see, I see women all the time online saying like, oh, well, it's, you know, Megan just like flirts with men all the time. And I'm like, yeah, because I'm heterosexual. Like, and I, so I like flirting with men. You're a lesbian. You probably like flirting with women. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, sorry. Yeah. Like, I've seen even worse things. I've seen, like, even more, like, I've seen really, like, misogynist things. Like, mm. I saw, I don't even want to say this out loud because I think, like, it's a racist thing. And I, some... You know, it just makes me even uncomfortable to say. But I remember somebody sending me, like, a screenshot from some radical feminist group being like, oh, well, like, Megan likes black dick. And I was like, ew. Like, you're in a feminist group and you're, t- A, you're, ta- you're speculating about my sex life. And, like, it, what? Like, what does that even mean? And who cares? And why is this any of your business? Like, and I don't even know. I was like, are you talking about my ex? Like, it's just all like, you're judging me based on, I guess my relationships or what my sex life or anyway. It's judging you on your sexuality, which um, is not cool anyway, regardless of if you're the majority, you know, um, it's judging you on that. It's also, obviously racist because otherwise she wouldn't say black um and it's also I guess it's it's shaming you like as if you're too sexual um it's Madonna and the whore you know uh, you've either got to be like um you know pure or the total opposite and it's we shouldn't be engaging with that we shouldn't be perpetuating that. Yeah, and I just I feel bad because I'm not here asking you to help me feel better about my sexuality. I feel fine <laughs> with my sexuality. <laughs> it's like okay. defend my heterosexuality. <laughs> but I just I mean, like if you're gonna if you're gonna be a feminist, you can't really hate on um, heterosexual women because or mothers or wives. Or, you know, women who are, like, capitalists or women who are conservative women. Because it's like, that's a lot of women. Like, you're taking out, like, basically, it's like, who are you left with then? Like, it's I I totally think it's fine for women to just sort of want to work within groups of women who have similar aims to them to a certain extent. Like, it's like, okay, well, if you want to have a group that's dedicated specifically to women of color, great. If you want to have a group that's dedicated specifically to lesbian women or young women or, or mothers, um, great. But at the end of the day, if you're engaging in these debates where you're saying like, oh, well, if you're married to a man, if you're uh, a mom, like if you're, I don't know. I'm trying to think of like all the other, all the ways that you can be ejected from feminism. I know there's more of them. Yeah. Well, it's weird because if, imagine if a a mother's group was like, you can't be feminist if you're not a mother. Um, we'd all be like, yes, I can. Um, (laughs) but 
that's what tends to happen politically. It's like you're not actually feminist if you're not 100% left. Like even though most of my values sit on the left, that's where they sit. Because I no longer feel like I would call myself a leftist because they've been horrendous to me, you know, but also they're behaving in ways that aren't principled and that are getting rid of my rights. So of course I'm not. So because of that, I'm suddenly not a feminist. No, that's not right. You don't get to just like, and you're right, you have this little corner then, which is just all the pure people. And it's like made of like, I don't know, 100 people globally or something. But I often talk to women who will say, oh, well, I never thought of like kind of joining a group because you know, like you said before, I, I get my nails done and I'm married and I kind of like, I quite like these parts of being a woman um, in terms of gender um, enactment. And I'm kind of, it makes me sad because so many women are quite comfortable in their lives and in the gender that they enact. And that shouldn't exclude them from um, joining action to protect their rights, for example. Um, and we really, that is probably the biggest flaw I see in feminism right now, is that is that exclusion of people who aren't pure enough. Do you think that feminism has failed on fighting for free speech? Yes. <laughs> that was an easy answer. It was an easy answer. So, um I so we're getting hate speech laws here um and I am kind of actively looking at how I can help prevent them or at least temper um how they how they end up being um and I think I'm I was really surprised by how many women didn't want to engage with the hate speech stuff and I don't think they realize that in adding gender identity to the the characteristics, the government is going to make it impossible for us to do what we're doing right now. Um, And maybe that's easy because they're not the one who everyone associates with the movement. It's not their name on everything. But it'll mean that if I say on radio no trans women are not women, I could be prosecuted. Um, And to me, that's like dire. We do not want this to happen. We should be able to um, challenge ideas that are um, harming our rights and abilities to live our lives. Um, But there seems to be a reluctance, and I'm not sure where it comes from. I think sometimes that um, there's a tendency of some women to be woke except for um, gender identity. So that they're gender critical, but they have imbibed all of the other woke stuff. And so they buy into stuff like we need hate speech laws and, um, and, and that kind of thing. But I, I fear that once again, the reality will really hit them once we're being prosecuted for saying stuff we're saying now. Yeah. Yeah. I think that you're right about that, that a lot of, a lot of women have 
taken up all the the woke behaviors, the woke positions, the 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 cancel culture, the con, the kind of like censoriousness mm. of of the woke movement or trend or whatever, but they're critical of gender identity. So they're, you know, not like that. And I just, I don't, I've never been able to figure out why they don't see the hypocrisy in that. Mm. Um, Like, you know, it's, we don't have free speech unless we defend free speech. That's the whole thing. You can't make it just about our speech. You can't say, well, all we need is to be able to talk about what a woman is and to be able to express our criticisms of gender identity ideology. Then we pull up the drawbridge and sure. Yeah. Criminalize those people for their speech or censor them because of their speech. It's like, no, you know, as long as you say, um, you can't say that because it's bad or wrong or harmful, then people are going to use that against us. And that's exactly what they do. Yeah. And I've said it until I'm blue in the face, but, you know, here in New Zealand, we have a left-wing majority in government right now. They feel real comfortable with that. So apart from gender identity, they're quite fine with the things that are being banned. But politics swings in a pendulum, you know, and eventually there will be a government made up of um, centre-right, but, you know, right-wing parties, and they then can't cry about what they choose because they'll be within their rights as government to amend that, to, to say, hmm, we actually think now you shouldn't be able to criticize the capitalist system because we think that's hurtful or something. And then imagine how all of these women are going to feel when they suddenly can't even, you know, talk about that stuff. And that's just an example. But um, it's it's really not thinking long term. And, you know, when Trump got banned from social media, I wasn't like sad. I I think he's an idiot. But my first thought was, shit, this is the president of the United States. The line of acceptability for censoring just went to the nth degree, you know, like, and and now there is no limit to who they can censor. Uh, but the celebrations that went on with Trump being kicked off, I kind of thought, haven't you been noticing all this time all these women who got kicked off? They're going to be even more brazen about it. And I just struggle with the, the hypocritical or the cognitive dissonance that that kind of doesn't allow them to think, um, you know, when I celebrate this, I'm actually celebrating my own demise because um, it will be weaponized against me eventually. Um, but like I say, I think it, in New Zealand, there's not many women who are um, their face and name are out there. So there's a very limited group of us who will be immediately at risk. Um, from this this legislation. And and the trans activists are being rubbing their hands with glee. They think it's hilarious. 
I think it's great. Um, and so maybe when it feels more abstract, they're not as worried. But for me, it feels personal. Like I really need to fight this. I'm curious to know what the what your experience has been organizing, particularly around the gender identity stuff. I mean, what's what? How has it impacted your your personal life? Um, it's taken over my life as it has for for a lot of us who are kind of centrally involved with organizing. Um, the last few years in New Zealand have been a constant wave of legislative changes and policy changes in government. So, you know, it'll be one month we'll find out the statistics agency um, has changed so that um, gender is now what they collect instead of sex. And then it will be the education Ministry of Education will change their um, advice on what you should teach children for RSE. And it's just one thing after another. There's not been a break for us, really. Um, so it's definitely taken over our lives. Um, and I think most of us probably, I mean, I'll speak for myself, but, you know, sometimes, of course, we'd rather not be doing it. But we feel like the cause is too important because when we think about what we've stopped already and we think about what's to come, if all of that went through, um, I don't people don't think women really realise how different life would be um, eventually as well down the track. So, yeah, it's it takes over a lot of my life. Um, but I also feel like... Perhaps it's what I'm meant to do. Like if I could do it as a career, I would love to, but unfortunately there's no money in it. Um, But I feel like um, there's meaning in it, you know, that this this is an existential kind of crisis that I didn't think women would be fighting. I kind of, when I was younger, thought we'd won all of our battles mostly. We had a few to sort out. Um, and so it, it's meaningful to me. Um, but that doesn't mean sometimes I don't hate it and want to not do it for a while. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I just, I've a, I just can't not, I mean, I didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't start talking about, I mean, I didn't start any of this for money. I mean, I started Feminist Current uh, I mean, almost 10 years ago, oh. just to have somewhere to to write about this stuff and somewhere to put my interviews. Like, there was just nowhere else yeah. where I could talk about the things that I wanted to talk about. And I was a new writer, and when you're a new writer, it's really hard to get published until you have published writing, so you're sort of yeah. in a bind. But, you know, I I do make a living off of doing what I do, which is a zillion things. You know, It is running a website. It is producing a podcast. It's now producing another podcast. Um, it's also freelancing. It's also like, yeah, it's the tons of little things pieced together that came out of me just saying the things that I thought and talking about things that were important and doing what I wanted to do. So I, I mean, I'm lucky in that regard, but it's sort of like, it's, 
It's strange that anybody would think that you would start taking on these issues for your own benefit. I mean, it's so, especially the gender identity thing. There's other things that I've been attacked over, including prostitution and pornography. But, um, you know, this is just, it's so stressful and you lose friends and you get attacked and it's scary. Like it's dangerous. Um, it's obviously dangerous financially. Like mm-hmm. you could lose your ability to make an income quite easily. Um, and, and then, you know, when there are women who do make a living, I guess, I mean, I wouldn't think that anybody would be able to make a living solely off of talking about gender identity. I can't imagine how that would work. No. But even if they did, like, I was like, who's paying them? Yeah. <laughs> What's the game plan here? But it's like, oh, God, like, a woman's making a living? Like, kill her. Like, that's a weird, that's another weird thing. Like, even you're like, I don't make any money, I'm losing money. But you shouldn't have to say that. I get why you are. Like, I've done that myself, but in the past. But, you know, like, it's like. Yeah, I totally agree. I I think um, it shouldn't be an issue, but it's more like because it's been this thing that people have been told, I feel like I need to defend myself and, and be like, you know, I'm not making money off this. I'm, I'm just doing it, you know. Um, and it's, you're right, like, the, I don't know if people realise the ongoing constant consequences of speaking out. And obviously I don't want to discourage people from speaking out as well. But, um, you know, it's, it's like just this week a, a friend um, did the whole, like, I have to distance myself from you because, you know, people have noticed that we're friends and um, I don't agree with your um, stance on things. And I, I, tr- I kind of was like, what don't you agree with? And she couldn't really say, but it's just stuff like that. You're constantly getting um, treated like a leper, you know, and you're, you're um, yeah, my work gets contacted I can't remember what it felt like to to feel safe in a job. Like, you know, if I don't fuck this up myself, I'll be fine. Um, whereas now it's like this, um, at any time, someone could decide to start some campaign against me to get me fired. or And so it's a very exhausting existence at times because – you would so thoroughly hate it. I mean, you would know. Um, I mean, I haven't had people make fake guillotines and, and hold them outside my <laughs> events, so I can't claim that one yet. But, um, you know, it is it is a very strange thing to be so thoroughly hated for holding an, a position that most people hold, actually. Yeah, the, the getting treated like a leper thing really pisses me off. Um because like it's like people people will say to you you know like you said like it's like your close friends or friends or acquaintances or whatever it's like uh sorry I just I can't I can't be friends with you on Facebook um because you know my my friends you know you you get it you get it it's like no I don't get it explain Mm -hmm. it to me like because like 
you know, I don't unfriend people or distance myself from people because other people tell me to. I would mm-hmm. never. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if somebody's told you like, you know what? I'm not going to be friends with you anymore unless you unfriend this person on Facebook. Be like, it's, go fuck yourself. I don't want to be friends yeah. with you, you weirdo. Grow up. Right. <laughs> None of your business. Well, it was really funny because she said, oh, like, um, you know, post your posting on Facebook is really ramped up around it. And I was like, because I don't use Facebook that much for it. I use, like, Twitter and stuff. And so I went on and I, like, shared one thing off Speak Up Women's um, Facebook page, which was like a quote thing. It was like nothing. And then the only other thing that I posted that was gender critical in like the last month and a half was I said it was an article about um, a trans-identifying male who um, was convicted of rape and um, the article was calling him a woman and da 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 And I said, I will not call a rapist she. And I outlined um, how horrific it would be for a rape victim to show up at court and be told you have to call him by this horny name probably um, you have to call him she. You have to pretend that you were raped by a woman, even though you know very well that you weren't. And then if you accidentally say he, you get told off by a judge. You know, it's the most horrific thing. I just can't, I, I can't even deal. And that was the only thing that I put up. And I was like, you, you can't cope with me saying I wouldn't call a rapist she. That's what you can't cope with? (laughs) Well, and I mean, it's a lot of people, a lot of these people agree with you too. I mean, it's like they'll say, you know, like, I mean, I I, I get it, but like, I don't want to, it's like, and it's often not, oh, I'll lose my job. It's often really just a social thing. It's like, you know, my friends don't like you and they told me I had to unfriend you or stop hanging out with you. Like, it's like, you're making things awkward for me and I don't want to feel awkward. And I really, I can't relate. I cannot relate just because, not because I don't understand that it's hard Mm -hmm. and that it sucks, but because I can't imagine... Um, well, I mean, first of all, I can't imagine not standing up and saying something if I felt that something wrong was happening, you know, like this is something that I think is wrong and harmful in a variety of ways. So yeah, I, I have to say something. I couldn't live with myself otherwise, but yeah, just, just the idea that adults would sort of succumb to that kind of, that kind of peer pressure I can't relate to. It's like, don't you have any loyalty? Come on. (laughs) It's also like primary school stuff. It's like, um, if you were friends with Susie, then you can't be friends with me because she said that my hair tie was ugly. You know, it's just the most infantile kind of thing. And it's control. It's about control. It's about people wanting to control each other. And, and, dictate who who is allowed in their sphere um and I just I can't imagine trying to exert that control over someone like 
Yes. Like to me, like the idea of, of not just the idea of succumbing to it when somebody else says it to you and be like, oh, okay, I won't be friends with them. But the idea of saying that to somebody else, like I, it's like, you know, don't you know anything about band? Like, don't you know that it's inappropriate for you to tell other people who they can associate with and what they can say and think? Like at what point did you learn to feel comfortable with that kind of behavior because it would make me so uncomfortable that I mean I just I wouldn't do it but it, it's it's very immature it's very controlling it's very manipulative it's very unethical and it you know it should make people not like you <laughs> if you and act like that matter? like I just don't care if I am friends with someone or like have you know acquaintances that catch up sometimes whatever I don't care who else they're friends with like you know and also we're not dealing with Adolf fucking Hitler we're talking about you know a person who has different political views to you you know no one's committed mass murder in this situation it's like oh it just drives me insane yeah me too um so you started a podcast recently. Mm-hmm. Tell me about your podcast. Um, yeah, I just, I wanted somewhere that I could talk about um, all the things we're not supposed to talk about, not just gender identity, but everything. So I called it Thought Crimes with Annie O'Brien. Um, and basically, I'm some of it, I'm doing kind of little short bits, which are my thoughts on things, and interspersed with interviews with people, um, kind of like what you do, and just kind of talking with, um, hopefully I'm, I'm keen to get Kiwis on there that are kind of, so people will start talking about stuff. Um, and so I've got uh, an ex-journalist who pretty much got blacklisted because um, she wrote an article about us and um, was supportive. Um, so she, she is no longer a journalist. Um, and so I talked to her and I talked to, so far, um, a guy who's a, a comedy writer in the New Zealand scene and how things are um, in terms of censorship. So, yeah, it's mostly about um, having a space that people can commit thought crimes and um, just talk about things that we should really be able to talk about, but we're not. Um, so, yeah, it's um, it's hosted on Buzzsprout, but it's on all the, like, main um, ones. And I've got a website, which is just thoughtcrimes.co.nz. Awesome. I'm really glad that you're doing that. Um, I hope that you don't get canceled because of it, but you probably will. (laughs) Just to warn you, if you start talking about things that feminists don't want you to talk about, then you get double canceled. So you first get canceled by every single person, the left, the trans activists, the social justice warriors, all of your friends, and then... If you try to talk about things that all of the feminists don't like, then all the feminists cancel you, and then it's just you. And <laughs> <me. all> <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. It'll just be the two of us. That's fine. <laughs> I'm joking. There's obviously other like awesome women who are doing awesome yeah. things and having difficult conversations, too. For sure. And most of the women, I must say, most of the women I, I, I work with and are in Speak Up For Women are you know, delightful and supportive. It's just... Um, I guess the frustration builds from those few that that kind of um, do those things that we've just been speaking about. And um, 
I guess make life a little bit difficult. But on the whole, I think um, I'm I'm optimistic in that the way we are progressing without um, kind of the barriers of being just on one side of politics, we are picking up more normal women who are feeling worried about this specific thing. So I'm feeling optimistic about it and I'm feeling like um, that hopefully the more of these voices we pick up, um, they're not political voices, they're not engaged with any other politics, they're just worried about this issue, um, I think that'll be good for us. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, I mean, first of all, I really appreciate your time and it was good to talk mm-hmm. to you. Um, and I, uh, I do hope that someday we'll be able to see each other again. <laughs> Maybe I'll go to the Is that ever going to happen? <laughs> but, like, I mean, it was so – I really, really loved coming over to New Zealand, and I was so grateful that you all brought me there because I thought that you guys were all so awesome. Like, I feel, I feel very connected to the work that you all are doing in New Zealand, and I really respect it a lot, and I sort of feel like we – we share similar views in terms of approach and strategy and and, um, saying things that we're not supposed to say and things like that. So, yeah. Yeah. Thanks for inviting me on. It's, it's cool to, cool to have a chat and hopefully we don't get in too much trouble for what we've said today. I feel like I'm uncancelable at this point. I mean, I talk about getting cancelled a lot, but I feel like I've been cancelled so many times. Like, if you just keep at it, they just give up. Like, I mean, I feel like you're doing that. You're like, okay, why doesn't like eventually they're just like, oh, she's just gonna keep doing her thing, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I'm pretty stubborn. (laughs) Um, Okay. Awesome. Yeah, we're doing it. We're doing it right. We're doing it right. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) cool. It was great to talk to you. Um, Take good care. We'll see you again someday. Okay. Bye. Bye. I'm Megan Murphy, host of The Same Drugs. Thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode and are enjoying the other interviews and the content we're producing, please do consider becoming a patron. Just head over to patreon.com slash Megan Murphy and sign up. Five, ten, twenty-five bucks a month. It all helps. Thank you so much. We'll catch you next time on The Same Drugs with Megan Murphy.